Blog Talk Radio. Authority Radio. I'm your host, Scott Rodriguez, along with my co-host, Greg Callen. Today, uh, we've got a draft-focused podcast. So looking forward to the Colts and the NFL draft. And to do that, we've got a guest, Grant Sinning, uh, of the newly formed Colt, uh, Draft Indie website. Excuse me. Uh, and so we're going to have him on. We're going to talk about what the Colts need, where they can find it, and uh, maybe a few other things as well. So with that, let me go ahead and bring on my co-host, Greg. Uh, Greg, how are you doing tonight? I am great, Kyle. Thank you for having me on. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, doing this one mobile tonight. Had to house it my parents' house, come back here because they're out of town and my dog needed some company. So, hanging out with my dog. It's pretty good. Uh, we have Grant Grant on tonight. And right. Grant's been a, a longtime friend of the show, friend of Pulse Authority, um, has done has contributed with us before, and and we've done some things together. So really excited to have him on. Uh, anything you need to get off your chest before we get Grant in here? No, the Colts haven't like, done anything, need, right? Like you don't you don't need to say anything that you don't want him to hear. No. Okay. Phew. All right. Let me go ahead and bring him on then. Grant, welcome to the show. I'm really really happy we could get you on. Hey guys, it's a long I'm glad to be here tonight to talk some draft stuff. It's probably my, it's honestly probably my favorite thing um, to deal with football besides watching the game. Um, and I can explain a little bit of that later on, but yeah, I'm glad to be here. Now, Grant, uh, like I said, you've you've done a lot with Colts Authority and Colts Authority Radio in the past, and and obviously a lot of the the guys associated with the site um, know you. But can you just explain a little bit about uh, you know who you are and, and as a Colts fan and, and with the, the new website, draftnd.com? Yeah, um, I've been a Colts fan probably my whole life. Um, um, I can honestly say I remember my first Colts game. Um, I don't remember what year it was, but I remember it was back in the RCA Dome. And uh, Jim Harbaugh was a quarterback, and we were playing the Patriots. I believe it was still when we were in division with Patriots and the one thing I remember most about the game is that Jim Harbaugh broke his nose, and um, that's really—I mean—I mean, it all really started from there. And I've been a loyal fan ever since, just following along, uh, you know, just staying interested. And it wasn't really until I got into to college, probably 2008, 2009, when like my, you know, enthusiasm for the team really jumped off. And you know, at that point, you know, I just—I was just hooked and. Probably, I'd say about three to four years ago is when I start, started getting involved in the draft and really started paying attention. Um, I mean, right around when left was coming out, um, it just seemed like a, it was an interesting time for me, uh, considering with my background and what, I, what I've been studying in school, um, which has a lot to do with how employers select employees and stuff like that. And, and uh, so, you know, I started posting on Twitter a lot. I a whole lot of cool people. You know, you guys. Um, some of the fellow guys from Draft Indy. And, you know, one of the things that I 
one of the things that I really noticed when it comes to the to the indie blog scene, I guess, the cult blog scene, is we've got a there's a lot of cool people out here and there's a lot of really knowledgeable people and you guys do your thing with Cult Authority and you guys touch on the draft a, a little bit here and there. And, you know, what I thought would be cool was to bring in, you know, two or three of the guys that I really enjoy talking the draft with and, you know, ask them if they were interested in maybe taking their going from 140 characters to, you know, 700 to 1,000 and, you know, actually start writing down these things. And Garrett, um, as you guys might know him as Smiley Moss, um, he was, he was the first person I reached out to, and I was like, because we didn't talk all the time. We had sat down and done some Google Hangouts where we just watched film together, and really liked them, and you know how we, you know, we both clicked, and we had a lot of the same thoughts when it comes to the draft and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, who else can we get in here? And he he said James, and so we asked James to join us, and then we got a Dan in here. Um, his first his first article is yet to be posted, but I know it's coming out soon, but. You know, we really got together and we we're like, let's, what do we want to do? What do we want to accomplish? And we decided, you know, just the just the blog dedicated strictly to draft coverage um, when it comes to the Colts, and uh, that happened about honestly. The idea came out about three three weeks ago. It took about a week to get everything in line, and then we started putting out articles, and here we are now. And if you haven't checked out uh, the website yet, it's draftindie.wordpress.com. I think if you go to just draftindie.com, it'll probably redirect you there as well. Um, and a lot of really great content. And like you said, you kind of put it together uh, really quick, and, and uh, the website's really simple, but you've, you've got to put out some, some really fun and entertaining, but also really informative stuff. So uh, it's been a, a pleasure to kind of see you guys you know, start up, and we'll be, we'll be following along. Um, Grant, yeah. just to, to kind of kick, go ahead, go ahead. If you got something there, uh, I was just gonna say, yeah, we're yeah, the the everything's real simple right now. You know, I you know, I don't have any really experience building a website, but you know, or you know, even a blog. But we're working on. I've been working on some things on the back end, trying to make it a little nicer because I know it's kind of hard to navigate through the site now. But um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like what we put out content-wise has been great. I mean, James and Garrett have really put together some really solid pieces in there. And what I like about them is that they're not necessarily the, the traditional draft. They're a little bit different. And I love uh, the thing that I love the most about them is it, it really is specifically tailored to the Indianapolis Colts and their scheme, um, how they like to do things. And I think most of our pieces that have come out have been defensive-oriented. I know I have some offensive stuff in the wings, but um, when it comes down to it, defense is probably where most, most people want the Colts to go in the draft anyway, so it kind of made sense to start there. Yeah, and that's one of the things I think you, you definitely – there's a lot of national draft websites out there, obviously, and um, it's difficult with those, and I know you guys have run into this in, in our you know in our interactions on Twitter and whatnot because what what the national media tends to see as, as needs and perceived needs for a team a lot of times doesn't necessarily match with what people who follow the team as closely as, as a lot of us do. It doesn't – they don't necessarily match up, and so – uh, I think you know Greg and I and and the guys at Colts Authority and and a lot of Colts fans, whether it's on Twitter or on the site or whatever, I always talk about this a lot. Just the fact that you know that it's hard to know a team intimately enough to to know exactly what what their needs are and to know you know where they're going to look for to find those needs. I think you just look at the 
you know, the free agents that the Colts signed. And a, a lot of us, you know, whether it was Colts Authority or, or some of the other Colts blogs or just Twitter or, or whatever, I think a lot of us would have pegged the Colts to, to sign Frank Gore and Andre Johnson and guys like that, those veteran guys that were going to come in and fill a role. Whereas you get some national guys that, that look at it and say, well, why are they getting older? And, and maybe if you, you know, but the guys who kind of follow the team every day, you, you can kind of see that, that fit a little bit better. So, uh, you know, I'm a big fan. Obviously, it's my job, so I, I'm a little biased, but I'm a big fan of, you know, team-specific uh, coverage, and, and I think you guys are, are definitely filling, filling a role there. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and, and jump right into this. Uh, looking at the Colts' biggest draft needs, um, let's start there and kind of fill out where we're going to be talking about for, for the rest of today. Uh, Greg, when you look at this Colts team, uh, especially, you know, now we've got the recent, the most recent signing, Dwight Lowry at the end of last week, a safety. So they, they filled out the safety role. They've kind of filled out all of the, like, glaring needs, like, okay, we absolutely need bodies. They've got bodies at pretty much every position. Now the question is just picking up talent. So, so Greg, when you look at this team and places where they most need to add talent, you know, where are you starting from? Head coach. Oh, I'm just kidding. First, uh, Grant, thanks for joining us. I haven't talked in 15 minutes, so I wanted to get in, get that in there. Uh, I guess for me personally, playmakers in the front seven, either inside linebacker, defensive line, which I don't think is probably going to be possible at the end of the first round. And I still think they'll probably go for a safety, right? I don't – these might be the two they're going with to start, but I think that they're going to want to draft a long-term solution there. So for me, it would be a linebacker, defensive line, or safety, something right up the middle. I think that's where they've been the weakest under Grixon and Pagano also. So I think that's probably the most likely place they would go. I don't know what – Grant, for someone who let, – let's say I have a friend who's never heard of the NFL draft and has never seen college football in his life. What do you think the chances are of getting a playmaker in the front – on the front seven at 29? It is 29, right? I'm a Colts fan. Uh, yeah, I mean, at 29, I really think there's honestly going to be a whole lot of really good options there. Um, one of the things that I really like about this draft class is, from what I've been observing, it, it's, it's almost it's almost weird about how every – kind of need that the Colts have had is actually fairly decently deep in this class. Um, at 29, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. If you're looking at a defensive line, I wouldn't put it past the see um, a player like Eric Armstead there at Oregon. Um, he's a little bit raw, but I mean, his, his upside is honestly limitless. He's like 6'8", you know, and he's so fast and he's so long, and I really feel like he could play a, a really good five technique um, for the Colts, and I know they addressed that with the signing of Langford, um, but I mean, Langford is really, to me, Langford's always been like a run-stop guy. Um, I really feel like Eric Armstead has a whole, like, has potential to do the full gamut of, um, of what we need from the five tech. But I mean, there's also going to be players there, um, like Eddie Goldman, I would say, um, maybe even if you wanted to get into the second round, you might be able to see a Carl Davis there. Um, and I really like Carl Davis. Um, I think when people look at Carl Davis, and I, you see a lot of things on Twitter and the media and Carl Davis, you know, they don't really see the tape. They don't really see the grade, um, you know, high grade on him. But really, his scheme at, at Iowa really didn't ask him to do what his strengths were. And I really feel like if we wanted to get a pass rushing five technique of a second round, Carl Davis would be perfect for that. 
but going back going back to twenty nine, um, inside linebacker, um, inside linebacker position seems to be kind of devalued a little bit lately. Um, so that's what people would say. But um, I really think if the Colts wanted to take Eric Kendrick at twenty nine, I would be you know I'd do backflips. So I, I mean that is just to me that'd be such a great pick. And people say off the line, off the ball linebackers, they're you know devalued and that kind of stuff. But I, you know, what I all I gotta say is like try watching just Bo Jackson trying to cover a tight end, you know, sixteen games a year, and you'll see the value of a coverage inside linebacker. Um, I'm trying to think of some other some other people. Um, second round, um, you could look in the second round for an inside linebacker too. Someone like Paul Dawson, who I'm kind of a big fan of. He had really historically bad combines, but I mean, watching him on tape, he just, he should, he can shed the blockers, he can, he can make those stops through the line, he can just do a lot of the things that we don't really see some of our inside linebackers do, and uh, I mean, I really like him, I mean, he's, he plays a lot faster on tape than he measured, and I mean, I mean, the measures shouldn't matter as much as they do, but when you're, when your combine is that historically bad, it does kind of matter. Um, and then when you when you talk about safety, um, this is a, a really interesting safety class. There's some ball hawks out there. Um, they can't tackle at all. Uh, there's a there's a lot of bad tacklers out here. And um, I know from what we've seen from you know our safeties in the past, especially the Ron Landry, he doesn't. I mean, I guess the Ron Landry didn't have a whole lot of missed tackles, but there are some that you just be like, how does he miss that? Um, so I mean, you could see. I don't really think that you'll see Landon Collins at 29. A lot of people have been mocking him down there lately, but I, I don't see it. I think that a safety need team is just going to take Collins. Um, but I think there's a lot of cornerbacks in college who you could, you could honestly switch to safety. Someone like a Quentin Rollins, you could get him in the first season, maybe even in the second. Um, someone like Eric Rowe, you could switch to safety, um, and you could get him in the second as well. Um so I mean, there's a lot. There's, I mean, I really feel like, like I said, um, there's really like for the way that for what the Colts need, there's really honestly a lot of depth in those areas in this draft, and it's you know it's just up to the decision makers to make the right informed decision um, when it comes to those types of players. You know, Grant, I I love what you're saying about the the depth at those the the positions that the Colts need. It's definitely there. I think one misperception that, that a lot of fans can have, and I'm not sure if Greg was referring to this or not, is that you're going to get a guy at the end of the first round that's going to necessarily contribute at that high playmaking level right away. And I think that's one thing that we have to keep in mind is that anybody you get at 29 is going to be a risk. He's, he's going to have flaws. He, he probably isn't going to be a pro bowl in his rookie year. I mean, the Colts aren't the Colts aren't going to draft an Aaron Donald at 29. I mean, it's just it's just not going to happen. Um, but there is still a lot of talent, and that's I mean, that's the thing is you know when you you mock certain people to the Colts at 29, and you get somebody coming and saying, well, I don't like him because you know he's a project, or or he's you know he's he's got this flaw or that flaw. I mean, everybody you get at 29 is going to have a flaw, um, and especially if you like the Colts are really trying to get a guy who has a high ceiling and a guy who can potentially be a blue chip, uh, you know, pro bowl player down the line, especially if that's your goal, then you're really going to be potentially getting guys with flaws and guys who are risks. Cause that's, I mean, that's the only way you get uh, the highest ceiling guys that, that late in the draft. 
So it's definitely something to keep in mind. But I know, like you're saying, there's a lot of a lot of depth in this class, uh, especially at, at the positions that the Colts need. And, and I'm really looking forward you know, to see what they do with the first-round pick, considering they haven't had one since, well, Bjorn Werner. Well, yeah, so uh, if I can jump in real quick. Sorry, uh, just real fast. But what they did in free agency gives them the opportunity to find that high-ceiling guy. I mean, you mentioned that they have bodies everywhere. This is where they should be finding the the guy who's – I guess that's what they thought they were getting with Werner. But forget that they drafted him and do it over again, only this time get someone that actually has that high ceiling and then get him there, right? That's what you talked about, having the stopgap in free agency, and that's what they did. So, okay, I'm, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I really, I mean, really, when it comes to free agency, every like I said, like when we, when you're writing before, when we will look at free, free, pre-draft, free before free free agency draft needs and what they have now. Um, I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, you would still like to see, I'd like to see, you know, a nose tackle um, at some point. Um, I, the Chapnado project. He's a good run stuffer, but I mean, he doesn't really offer much in the pass rush. And you don't really ask your pass, you don't really ask your nose tackle to pass rush a lot. But you know, you see, you see people, you see Don, you see the Don Terry pose with that floating autos out there, and you're like, well, you know, I really like one of those guys just because it's gonna be, yeah, I mean, they're obviously amazing players, but you know, you'd like to be able to see that kind of flexibility. Um, but another area, uh, you were saying earlier, safety depth right now. Um, to me, outside of Mike Adams and Dwight Larry, who I watched a few games after the signing, but actually, you know, I, I mean, I really feel like that was a really good signing. Um, I think he'll come in, he'll start right away. Um, he'll start over anyone that we would draft, in my opinion. Uh, he's got the ability to play free and strong, um, just like what they like. And you know, I watched him, I watched him cover Jimmy Graham, and he was able to, you know, move with him and you know cover cover him really well and he was able to make those open field tackles um, when he was playing free. He followed the ball really well. Um, I really feel like he was going to be a really, he was actually a really underrated uh, signing uh, and I'm really, you know, I'm really excited about that. But after him, you've got Winston Guy and Dewey McDonald and Winston Guy was honestly horrible last year in one word um, for the Jaguars before they cut him and then we signed him to the practice squad. And Dewey McDonald, um, decent preseason, but he was pretty much special team the entire year. Um, I don't know if his development's there um, yet. So drafting a safety um, is definitely a priority. Uh, looking at cornerback depth as well, uh, uh, outside of the outside of Davis, Kohler, and, and Butler, um, there's not much there. They could, I could definitely, I definitely see them drafting. Um, at least two DBs in this draft, whether it be two corners and they'd want to switch, switch one to safety or a corner and a safety. I mean, I'd honestly be okay with three. Um, I know a lot of people don't like the double, triple dip in the positions or whatever, but, you know, if you're looking at your board and you think this guy can come in and be your cornerback four, cornerback five, contribute on special teams, um, be prepared for the future, um, because honestly, right now we're at we're at we're at Vontae Davis or a great shoulder injury away from having a catastrophe as a cornerback position. And um, switching to the offense side, um, switching to the offensive side, I love the Ontario Johnson signing. Um, it really gives us flexibility um, when it comes to the draft. I think that they will draft him, uh, but he'll be a late round guy. 
maybe someone like a Kenny Bell um, out of Nebraska. And then the running back situation, I love Gore. Uh, he's like the ageless wonder. Um, he really, I, I mean, he he obviously has kind of slowed down when it comes to stats. The last year they had switched in. They were they were, they were obviously moving towards uh, uh, I can't remember it was Carlos Hodge. And uh, but I really think that Gore really fits what we're trying to, what the offense tries to do. But I do think that they will draft one. Um, and I really think that there's uh, you've heard it, you've seen it. Said, written, whatever, Twitter, everywhere. This is a really deep right back um, class, and it really is. And one of my favorite, like, I've got two favorites at the position that I think that we'd be able to grab um, outside of Gurley and um, and Gordon. Who I, I mean, I really obviously love, but they're going to be. We're not taking. I don't want to take one of the 29, um, and those guys will probably be gone by our time our second round pick comes around. But I really like John Ajazi. I, I the J E. I don't really know how to pronounce his name. Um, out of Boise State um, and Amir Abdullah out of Nebraska. Um, those two guys, I feel like out of those two, I really feel like if they were to draft one in the third round, um, I'd really like to see Amir Abdullah. Um, he's almost kind of a kind of a lazy comparison, but maybe like a Darren Sproul type scat back. Um, he can, you know, give him a pass, give him a little swing pass, he can take it to the house. But, I mean, I've also seen him take it through the tackles uh, in the Big Ten, um, or Big 12, sorry, or yeah, I think it's Big 12. But, you know, those two guys, but like every area that they find in free agency, it really comes back down the round that they still really need to get younger at that position. And I think that this is, I guess, a good draft class to do so. Yeah, I, I think Amir Abdullah, you know, you've definitely seen him run on the ground, uh, you know, through the tackles not necessarily needing to go, uh, you know, the Darren Sproles route to get yards in college, and you certainly hope that'll translate, despite the fact that he doesn't have a ton of ton of size or power. Uh, Grant, when we look at the Colts' kind of biggest needs, and we look at, you know, we've mentioned kind of up the middle of the field, let's just focus there for now. Uh, defensive line, you know, is there a, a large, you know, let's say just a large, you know, sex to draft from at the end of that first round? I mean, do you do you see there being uh, a good pool being left at the end of the first round that, that could potentially be there on that interior of the line? Um, yeah, I really I really do think that either I – think, I think four guys could be there. Eddie Goldman from Florida State, Jordan Phillips from Oklahoma. Um, I think it's – I would like to say Eric Armstead out of Oregon, who I just talked about earlier, um, but I really feel like someone's going to really be interested in his upside a little earlier than 29. But if he was there, I'd be all for the Colts taking him. And the other one is Carl Davis out of Iowa, who I talked about. I really feel like if we wanted to get someone to play nose, five technique, three technique, um, in this draft class at 29, there'll definitely be someone there. All right, then you look at uh, inside linebacker uh, at the end of the, the first round. Is there anybody besides uh, Eric Kendricks out of UCLA that you would consider at the end of that first round for inside linebacker, or will there maybe be some more, uh, you know, is there a different round later in the draft that there might be potential value in? I think the only guy that I would be interested to play inside linebacker at 29 other than Kendricks would be Shaq Thompson out of Washington. And he's an interesting player. 
Um, in college, he played running back uh, and inside linebacker. Um, he's like a, I don't, I don't know, it's really hard to kind of describe him. Uh, but, I mean, he, I mean, he's a, he's a football player first and foremost. Ball IQ is off the charts. Um, he's really, he's, he's a playmaker. Really, um, at the at the end of the day, is what he is. If we were to take him at twenty nine, what I'd really like to see out of him would kind of be like a like a hybrid linebacker safety type guy. Um, put him in in the nickel. Put him in as a linebacker in the nickel. He could maybe play. He could cover a tight end. He could blitz. He could play the run if need be. Um, but I think, like, in his first year, you really got to figure out where you're going to use him. Because a lot of people, myself included, don't know if he would be a really good inside linebacker. He's a little short for inside linebacker. He's six foot, but I know our, our inside linebackers are are a little smaller than uh, most inside linebackers. But, he's you know, at six foot, he plays a good safety. And I really think that that role, like, in a year one, year two role of playing, like, a hybrid, like, third down, nickel, linebacker, safety, uh, would really actually play to his skill set really well. And um, like I said, he's just a playmaker. Um, but if, but really, if you can't get Kendricks or you don't want to take Kendricks at 29, I think Paul Boston, due to his combine, due to some – I really don't like to talk about character concerns because, honestly, for Twitter, reading, you know, NFL.com rating reports, you don't know character like teams do. Honestly, I don't know. I mean, teams – they may know character, but at the end of the day, do they really know character? It's it's just a that's a, a touchy subject. But Paul Dawson's had some concerns with his with the character, um, and I really think that that plus his combine would cause him to be able to be there um, at 58, our second round pick. And I mean that he would be an excellent addition if we were able to pull in a draft hall with the first year round being something like an Eric Armstead or. a a Jordan Phillips or an Eddie Goldman in the second round of Paul Boston. I mean, I really think that the Colts would really honestly be set up um, in those two areas for, for quite a while. Grant, we know that they signed Cole the with Demon Eyes, and Robert Mathis is, is expected to come out of hibernation in November, and uh, Jonathan Newsom had a really good rookie campaign. But some people, including myself, think that they need to probably – take another pass rusher, build some depth there. Uh, what can we look, maybe not in round one, but in the, you know, some deeper round picks there, any guys that are jumping out to you that you think, well, they're worth a look, maybe in maybe the same vein that Newsom was? Um, I live, I go to, right now, um, I got three weeks left of grad school um, here at the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. And, um, being in grad school, I was unable to go to very many, well, any of the football games with just how busy I was. But now that I've actually sat down and watched some of the players out of UTC, Davis Toll really intrigues me. He is fast. Um, I mean, he, I mean, his, and he's explosive. Um, he, I really feel like I don't know. I don't really know how to project his round because I mean, his combine was actually pretty fantastic. Um, his broad jump and bird jump were, you know, 99th percentile, somewhere around there for a lot outside linebackers. He was really fast at his pro day, um, which I should have gone to. I had to miss it because of school, but I got invited to go. But that's another story for another time. But he really honestly intrigues me. I, I put up some stuff on 
on my Twitter account, you know, some videos of him and him and Derek Lott. And Derek Lott plays I he would play five technique and our defense uh, maybe knows. Um but those guys those guys were pretty good defenders on a on a pretty bad team. And or not a pretty bad team, but a you know, a lower level competition team. And I really think that someone like a Davis Pole could be another nuisance type body. Um, another guy I like, who I, who I think due to his combine, due to some other concerns, um, who I really like, and I've always liked him, I've liked him since I watched him at the beginning of the draft, and that's Pauli Kikaha out of Washington. Um, it's really interesting. I've talked a lot about Washington defenders. They had a really good defense. Um, and, you know, I was, and uh, Pauli Kikaha, if I'm saying his name right, I think I am, um, is an outside linebacker. And in our defense, he would play Sam. He would be, he would take, I don't know if he'd be in this this year because we still have Walden um, and they still want to try to play Werner at, at Sam. Um, but he is, he is the, I really feel like he would be that perfect position to play that, play that Sam. He's, he's very active with his hands. He's got some very good pass rush moves. Um, his pass rushing um, productivity I think I saw from Pro Football Focus's new college football focus thing that they got going on to put an article out today. He was in the top five for pass rushing productivity. Um, I really like him. I really feel like he would offer a lot for this defense. I really, and he, he wouldn't have to spend that first that first round pick on. I don't even know if you'd have to spend that second round pick on. Um, but I mean, I really feel like if you're looking if you're looking for a rough gym, you'd be able to see that Davis Toll type player, um, or even a Ryan Delaire um, at Towson, uh, at my Colts account, um, as you guys know him, um, turned me on to him a long time ago. And uh, uh, Colts scouts were at his pro day. Um, he's, he, he's one of those guys you look at on tape, and his first step in his athleticism is just blows away um, that FCS competition. And, I mean, he's, he's just clearly a better athlete than everyone on the field. And that's what you look for from the small school people like, like if they're if they're at a small school, are they just beating the pants off the people across from them because they're also from a small school? And that guy really does it. And Davis told it the same way. Um, Kikaha played in played in Pac-12, and I mean he he was really good there too. Um, so I really like those. You know, like Kikaha would be a mid-round guy. Uh, Davis Cole could be a mid to late-round guy, and I think I think Blair is a a late-round guy. So there would be three three pretty good options at pass rush. Um, if you're looking at it. Going back to, to Toll and a lot really quick, uh, the guys from Tennessee Chattanooga, Toll outside linebacker, Derek Lott at a tackle. Uh, land zero lines from NFL.com has them kind of that, that fourth, fifth round range. So that's definitely somewhere you could see the Colts going at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I, fifth, round would, fifth round would probably be good for them. I mean, Newsom was a fifth round guy. And, we got a lot of production out of him. He's obviously not a finished uh, finished product. Is um, he's got a lot of upside. And I think when it, when when you look at the numbers and stuff like that, I don't know if you guys there's a there's a guy on Twitter, uh, Joseph Mojica, uh, Okada, Okada. Uh, he's got the thing force players, and Davis Toll is, a, is one of those what you would consider a force player. Basically, his explosion factor, if you call it, is based on his based on his density. And his his other numbers, and he's one of like ten force players in this draft. And uh, but I really don't. 
just because of his level of competition and some other concerns, some older injury concerns um, with him. I really do think that that fifth round would be really good value for him. And maybe even the fourth round, because we pick late in the fourth round and be looking for a pass rusher. You know, you never, you don't skip out on pass rushers. And that's why they took Werner back in 2013, because you, you just need him. Need all kinds of. I know outside linebackers kind of a log jam right now, but you know what? If you got you got to get you got to have pass rush, and you know, there's been reports that Mathis doesn't come back until week ten. I don't know if I believe it. Um, I don't know if I believe that. I think he might be able to come back sooner than that, but you never know. Achilles injuries and stuff. Trent Cole, Trent Cole, Mathis, or Trent Cole, Newsom, Walden, Werner. Um, I really think you might be able to fit one in there. And you never know just how roster construction goes out. They could cut one of those. They could cut, you know, I think they could cut Walden um, with a little limited cap casualty. Um, I know if you cut Werner right now, a lot of people would not be for that. But I think he'd actually he'd actually have some cap, some cap uh, penalties on that. So I don't know if they'd be willing to do that. But, you know, it, pass rush is definitely one of the biggest concerns um, when it comes to any team. And, you know, last year we had to really rely. We didn't have, we didn't have that guy that teams were afraid of. We had, we had, we had a fairly good amount of facts, but there were, I really, I really believe in a lot of them were schemed facts, uh, linebackers, stumps, twists, blitz. We really need a guy that they'll be willing to commit two blockers to, you know, we really just need that, that, Really strong, really strong passer sky that Mathis was two years ago, and we didn't have it last year, and we might have it next year with you know, maybe Mathis. I don't think Mathis will be back if the 19 and a half sacks Mathis, but he'll still be really good. Trent Cole's really good, but we really do need that. We really do need someone that puts the fear in the offensive line as quarterback. So I, I'm 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 always willing to take the pass rusher in every draft because you just need it. You've mentioned the that this draft is somewhat deep. I know Colts Twitter always loves to talk about this. What do you think of the idea of maybe trading down and collecting extra picks going the uh, the Patriots route? Do you think there's value in that, or do you think Kendricks is – when I do read about the draft, when I go on Twitter, he's the guy everyone seems to want. So I guess let me put it this way. If he's on the board, would you rather draft Kendricks or trade down and collect picks and, and get some depth? I look at it like this. Yeah, that's always nice. Trading down, getting extra picks, it's nice. Good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I think, we've got nine picks strapped. I don't think that, I don't really honestly believe that we need, I mean, I know it sounds so weird to say, but everyone will probably be mad at me for this, but honestly, when it comes to what our roster looks like right now, I don't know that we need an abundance of extra picks. If we were maybe able to trade down to 29 and pick up a an extra second and a third, that you know, if they were if they were decent picks, you know, that might be a good idea. You know, it honestly would because there is some depth. Like the uh, I look at the draft, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of elite talent. Um, when you look at elite talent, there's Leonard Williams, uh, Bud Dupree, Nick Beasley, um, maybe Randy Gregory, Mari Cooper. Those guys are way out of our range. But there's a lot of second to third round guys, and honestly, that might be a good route. Um, if this depth had a little more elite talent, I would be I'm, – I'm honestly kind of in a, in a weird crowd. 
I at twenty nine, it's hard to it's hard to sustain success when you have to continually pick up the end of the draft. And I'm okay. I would honestly be okay mortgaging another first round pick. People, like I said, people are going to mad at me for this to move up and pick an elite player. But you have to make sure that he's a sure thing, and there are no sure things in the draft. So it really probably honestly never would happen. But moving up 10, 15 spots with, you know, maybe a, a second this year or a second next year, you know, that's not a bad strategy. But not this class. This class, you'd be more inclined to stay where you're at or trade back if you can. But you got to make sure you got to have a plan. And Griffin, Griffin's a man with plans, so you never know. You honestly never know what's going to happen until it happens. You know, one of the really big things about that, like you mentioned, Grant, uh, the Colts have nine picks, and if you trade back and you say you pick up an extra pick or an extra two picks, I mean, I don't know if this that the Colts roster necessarily has eleven, you know, ten, eleven more spots to fill. Uh, I just, you know, you look at it and you start projecting the depth chart, and you start filling in where rookies might fit in, and and you're looking at having to cut some guys that have some decent talent. So it's it's not that. You know, you, the Colts can't use more picks because the more picks you have, the more you know, more chances you have at, at finding those studs. But at the same time, you're, you're probably not going to be able to fit all of these guys onto a roster, and I don't know that you necessarily get enough information out of just training camp or, you know, just the preseason yeah. to be able to say, you know, can, to which one do we keep? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, what, I mean that's, that's basically my point. You know, I mean, that's exactly right. You know, when you saw last year, I think the – 49ers, I mean, 49ers last year going into this year is a completely different story. Last year they had 13 draft picks, but not a whole lot of the holes to fill. And now they have a, a ridiculous amount of holes to fill. And they still have some decent amount of picks. But last year they were trading up, you know, all the time because, you know, they, they thought that they could get a player who was more safer because they didn't have enough room to put all those players on their, you know, all those, all those picks on their team. And, I mean, we might be in that same situation. And you're right, training camp battles aren't really enough. Preseason is not enough to decide, you know, who's the better player sometimes. You know, some of, some of these players, it doesn't really click for them um, until, you know, midseason or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I think you're right. One thing I want to talk about, guys, uh, in this conversation about needs is, is looking at the offensive line because that's been a, a very kind of sexy pick for the Colts lately, especially on the, uh, you know, kind of that national side of things. The offensive line, uh, especially a, either a tackle or Cameron Irving, who's the center out of Florida State. Um, and I don't necessarily think we need to talk about specific guys or anything like that, but just looking at the needs that the Colts have and kind of how they built their team. You know, they built, they, they started out with Gregson in that first draft drafting their skill guys, their core skill guys. I mean, they got the two tight ends. They got Hilton. Um, and, and they drafted a running back, too, and, and that didn't end up working out because of injuries. And then they tried to acquire a running back, and that didn't work out because he was terrible. Uh, but they tried to acquire their skill positions, really, first. And then they started to, to try to acquire offensive line. And they've, they've built the offense before the defense. And, and in my opinion, I think it was the smart way to go. Uh, but You've gotten you've you've gotten some pushback now because of that, and and you've got some people say, okay, well, the Colts now they have to take defense, they have to take defense, they can't take offense, uh, and then you've got other guys saying, well, they have to take offensive line because they've built their skill positions up. 
I don't know. I mean, there's just a lot of different ways that this draft can go, and I don't necessarily know that there's there's one specific way they have to or another. Uh, Greg, when you look at that roster, I mean, based on how Greg's has built it so far, you know, where do you see do you see like a specific route that they really have to go to get the optimal optimal value out of this draft? No, I agree with what you've been saying about you know the free agency set them up to go wherever they need to or want to and find guys that they really want. If they're going offensive line, the only thing that really makes sense to me is a right tackle. They they have a bunch of guys in the middle who are interchangeable parts. They have a center, I think. They have a bunch of guards slash centers. The only question mark for me is Cherilis, and they don't have anyone behind him really, right? Unless Joe, what's his name? Writes is going to Joe play right there. <laughs> yeah. So for me, if it's offensive line, it's right tackle. I think. Am I wrong? <laughs> no, I, I think. I mean, I'm with you there. Uh, I the question about center really is just. Do you want to add another young guy to the mix? Because even if you draft a guy in the first round, I mean, no, nobody's guaranteed a, a starter. So they've already, they already they have, sorry. Yeah. sorry, they seem no, hesitant I, I to play a young guy there before. So I don't know why they would want to like go down that route again. Yeah, it's one of those weird log jam developmental. I, I don't know. It's just because they're in a weird spot there. Yeah. No, I don't uh, see Grant, that center at all. No. Grant, when you look, you know, speaking of the developmental kind of side of things, one of the things that we've we've talked about a lot over the last, uh, really the last two years, I think, um, is kind of how the Colts have handled developmental players. And you know, you look at the centers, and the Colts had like, Khalid Holmes. They brought him in a fourth round pick. Uh, because of injuries, because of other circumstances maybe that we don't know about. Uh, he never really got a shot uh, to, to do that. And we, we've seen that before with other players, you know, in uh, like like Jerry Hughes. I mean, a guy who flashed some potential, never really got a shot at a full-time position. Uh, you look at the centers, you and Jonathan Harrison was playing for about six, you know, what, six games, seven games, eight games. Uh, and then he got pulled mid-season. Based on you know, you've done a lot of, of psychological work with your your grad school work there. That's what you're going into, uh, and we've talked about this before. Kind of the psychological effects. You know, how do you see the development of the young players that the Colts have brought in, and how that's kind of affected perhaps the development of those players, guys like Holmes, like Werner. Uh, you know, how do you see that? How that's played out thus far, and how maybe we can look at the Colts maybe needing to change that or, or stay the course when you look at some of the drafting players that they could bring in next. That's an interesting question. Um, when it comes to development um, with people, um, you got to give them, and it's such a terrible cliche, but you got to give them time to, to practice, and you got to be able to give them, and, and honestly, practice and playing games is, is different. And uh, when when you look at, we'll just look at Colin Holmes and Ronald Harrison this last year. Colin Holmes got hurt, what was it, preseason? And then Jonathan Harrison came in and got hurt in the fourth preseason game. And they signed A.Q. Shipley, who played for five weeks. And then Jonathan Harrison was healthy. I don't know if Colin Holmes was healthy. 
Um, and I, I really just think that they honestly, when it comes to those, when it comes to that position, I don't know that they. I mean, I'm not going to say they don't. They didn't know what they were doing, but they didn't know what they had. And like you said, they gave Harrison seven, eight games, something like that. And when it comes, to, I, I honestly, when it comes down to the Harrison versus Holmes debate, uh, I side on the Harrison side, uh, and I, I, I side on the Harrison side. Yeah, he had some miscues, but he. He's such a physical specimen when it comes to offense. So strong, and but his issues, and going back to my draft notes last year, his issues were mental issues, and it's kind of interesting when you look at Colin Holmes. His issues have always been strength issues, and he was—I mean, he went to USC, pretty good school, um, and you know, his, he had—he he was always touted as being very smart, uh, so. I, I really just feel like they wanted to see well, when it comes to the center position. They wanted to see what they had, and you know, yeah, it kind of hurt. It kind of hurts some 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 players growth to be you know kind of thrown out, you know, put on the bench or you know saying, hey, you're going to start, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden you're on the bench, you know, until I don't, I don't remember what we call it home came in, but um, I mean, it was it was like week 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there, you know, like. It, I mean, he's he's just had an interesting road. It's, you know, the, he had some good flashes. Um, coming out. I don't think that he was particularly game in game shape um, when it comes to it. And that's that's another thing when you got to come and develop. There's a lot of mental work in football, but there's also a lot of physical. Obviously, there's a lot of physical work. And if you're not in game shape, you're not game condition. No matter how strong you are, um, or if you're no matter how smart you are, that strength. But sometimes, especially at the center position, causes lapses. Uh, um, some other, some other like developmental issues when it comes to like Rajon Warner. I feel and I feel like they gave Rajon Warner his fair shot. And especially this last year with Mathis being injured, they definitely gave him his fair shot. We just really haven't seen. He has he's had some flashes. Uh, I mean, but I mean, not. Not enough to consider. I, I would honestly say not enough to consider him a long-term option. But they definitely gave him his chances, just like Trent Richardson. They gave. I mean, they gave him. Um, they gave him his chances. You know, 250 times. That you know, with you know, we all know how that kind of played out. And it's it's interesting. I'd like to consider when it comes to the philosophical debate of what kind of general manager strikes him. I really would like. I really think that he. His mantra that he really believes in is to build through the draft and develop players. But he has in the position that he's been in, he's had to sign a lot of free agents in the defense. But like you said earlier, when it comes to the offense, he, he drafted that first year. I mean, that, that was like a really amazing – I mean, obviously that was one of the best draft classes that I've seen in a long time. I mean, and he, they've all developed – They've all come in. Um, he built that offense, basically. He's built a lot of that offense through the draft. Yeah, he signs a free agent wide receiver every year, but there's only so many um, picks that you had. I really liked Brazil as a six-round pick, but he could keep his, his stuff together. Um, but I really would like to say that I really believe that Gertman believes in development because you look at you look at someone like Adongo. Um, here's another – he's a really good development you know, player to talk about. He plays zero football. And now we've signed him, what is this, the third year in a row, second year in a row? 
something like that. Um, just to keep coming back and learning the game. And I mean, I really feel like he really believes in that, that kind of philosophy, but in just the way things have gone and the way things, you know, the way things have presented themselves, he's not been able to do that. But I think that he will, given time, um, if he, you know, stays, if he stays, you know, like depending on, you know, his next two draft classes, like he's had a fantastic off season this year. Uh, if he finishes up with a strong draft class, I think, you know, we'll, we'll be talking about Brixton for, you know, a few more years, obviously. But I really feel like he believes in the belt. And I think you can see it uh, from how they treated a lot of players. And, and I agree with that. I think this, and it's, it's a kind of a, you know, it's a very kind of broad, vague question to ask, and it's not a very uh, specific question for you. But but when I look at the Colts and, and some of the issues they've had, you look at how these young players have developed. You know, some of them have been forced in. I mean, the tight ends, they started right away. They didn't have a choice. Jack Muhlet last year was forced in, didn't have a choice. And I think those, those players have, have, on the whole, kind of developed pretty well. At the other positions, you've seen these, you know, these weird competitions that end up going poorly. We saw them misuse T.Y. Hilton you know, early on uh, in, in that second year and, and play Darius Hayward Bay over him. Uh, you know, we've seen Werner get his chance, and he hasn't panned out. So maybe he's a guy where you know, he's not the right guy. You don't know. But I guess my point is the, the developmental part of it, the coaching side, the, the coaching him up, whatever you want to call it, that, that's so important. I think it's so important for them to get that part of it right too, especially because this this roster is kind of filled out. That because you're going to have to coach up guys. I, I don't know if there's any position where if you draft somebody at 29, they're going to start right away. I just I, I really don't. I mean, maybe if they draft one of those offensive linemen, like if they drafted Irving, he would probably start right away. Not guaranteed, but probably. Outside of that, you're you're probably looking at guys that that have to develop. And and I just don't know necessarily that that's something I I trust them to do well. I I don't know. I mean that's we I don't know if we necessarily had enough evidence of that. I mean Greg, when you look at at those young guys and some of the those conversations we've had, I mean is that something you you trust them to do? No, I mentioned this earlier with the center. I guess although they did, I guess the center isn't really a good uh, example. But last year they went with Knicks over. Um, Thank you for a really long time. It's happened in a couple of occasions and no, I I don't trust them to have to draft a guy who is a really good player right off the bat and put them in. For example, if Pagano were the head coach in 2006, I don't think, uh, wow. Why Bethay would, would have had, what happened to him happened, you know, I, I just, those weird things where a rookie steps up and outperforms what you think they are capable of. I don't think that happens under this coaching staff. Uh, can I add on Werner though? I don't know if he'll ever become the pass rusher that they envisioned, but I could totally see him making a Walden expendable and just becoming a different kind of player. And maybe you look at it and say, well, he failed because he can't get to the uh, quarterback, but maybe it's okay because he's going to set the edge for the next six years. I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking for silver linings, which is totally me, the optimist. But I really just think that <laughs> he he could switch sides and do an admirable job over there. 
So no, I to answer your first question, I don't really trust them to develop players at a brisk pace. If anything, they're overly cautious. But that sometimes it happens with coaches. Not so much in football all the time, but in other sports, especially. Uh, I, but again, we're, we've been focusing on them drafting higher upside guys, and so if you do that, maybe it's it's okay that they bring them along slow. I don't know if anyone saw what Hilton did. Maybe they really just were nervous that playing him too much was going to ruin it. And he's a smaller guy. I, if you look at every every decision they make in a vacuum, you could probably maybe excuse it. But no, I, I, you can't excuse Hilton in the DHB thing. I don't know. No, I don't trust him. Sorry, this was incoherent, but so are their decisions. So I just like to match them. Well, that's and then and then the other one that really gets me on the back side of that, um, you know, they have kind of been extra cautious with some, and then you've got like like the center position where they had a guy AQ right, Shipley, yeah. who AQ Shipley was was a vet. He could he could definitely fill in for you know a period of time while you let guys develop, you know, and where you let Colleen Holmes beef up while you let Jonathan Harrison, you know, kind of learn the mental facilities of the game a little bit better, and instead they get. Shipley out of there as soon as they can, like as, as soon as possible. You you bench Shipley and you get Harrison in, who's who's very raw. And so it's just, I mean, there's just it's where you kind of you don't see, like for me, I don't even necessarily know if I see specific tendencies from the coaching staff in in terms of developing players because you have kind of examples on all sides of the board, uh, and a lot of them have have not seemed to work out all that well. And and it's hard to tell necessarily whether that's you know the development or the player or what. But it's it's just a question I think they definitely, you know, we really have to consider when you're looking at this draft and bringing in those guys who you know they're going to need to to sit and, and develop for some time. It just, to me, feels like there was something personal with A.Q. Shibley because if you watch them play, <laughs> there I don't know what the upside for the two young centers are, but I would have rather had Shipley in. He was just simply, in my opinion, a better player. And maybe I know others actually disagree with me. I think Ben Gundy disagrees and he he's the offensive line guru so that's fine maybe maybe i'm just taking too hard a line on something that's really closer to 50 50 than i think but for me i don't know what their upside is but i just thought he was a much better player and the whole handling of that situation was weird because that's the most important part of the offensive line and they were so especially from a mental standpoint yeah, but I've never seen a, a team handle it like they handled it. The offensive line was really, really good. I almost used the wrong word there. I almost used dominant. It wasn't dominant, but it was really, really good for the first however many weeks Shipley was there. And then they took Shipley out and replaced him. And I understand that that sort of coincided with a rash of injuries. But you can look at that change as when the offensive line went from really good to huge question mark. And I don't. I still can't wrap my head around it. Now, when they went to Holmes, I think he was actually better in the short term. I don't know what they're going to do here, you know, going into next season. I do feel confident that they'll, they'll come out with a decent center. They'll, they'll pick their better one and he'll play and then it'll be fine. I, I trust that they have a guy on the roster who can do a good job. But last year, I was really, really confused, especially when, you, when you're a team. They say they're trying to win. They... They, they sped up that process we've talked about before. And 
they that this was the a total opposite of we're going with the best guy right now. They went with the question mark. It just was really weird. So to go back to that, I'm almost positive that AQ Shipley did something to someone. Dog. Remember one of the employees had a dog missing? Shipley stole it. There you go. <laughs> we figured it out. Okay. Case solved. Move on. Well, this is what Cult Authority Radio is for. <laughs> Solving these mysteries that we've been wondering about for, for months. The day the after dog. he signed with Arizona, the dog was found. I mean, I'm not even making this stuff up. <laughs> All right. Uh, kind of last a little bit here. Uh, last brief conversation. Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna start with you, Greg, and then kind of go to Grant to answer the question. When you look at this team, and if you could pick any, any I know Greg, you haven't done a ton of like specific draft scouting. So if you could just pick one like ideal prospect, like what position and what type of player would you be looking at? I know you mentioned it a little bit for just the middle of the field, but if you could specify it to kind of one specific kind of player that you would go with in that first round, who would it be? Well, I feel like it's un unrealistic because they're picking at 29th. But in a perfect world, I'm getting a playmaking defensive lineman. Just someone on the defensive line who can win a battle. And Because, I, you know, we've talked about how, much, how many players they have at outside linebacker, but they've never had that kind of person on the defensive line under this regime. So that for me, if they could get that guy is that's who I want. Okay. So Grant, uh, two part question. Then first off in your, in your opinion is, is Art Armstead the best option to fill the role that Greg's talking about is, or is there somebody else? And then second part is if you could pick one guy for the Colts to pick at 20 line, somebody who's actually somewhat reasonable to be there, like who would it be? You said someone not at 29? Sorry, I broke up my, my Bluetooth, kind of cut in there. All right, well, let's just do the first part. First part first, is Eric is, is, is Armstead the player that Greg is describing? I mean, he's, is he the best option at 29 that would likely be there? Um, or, is, or is there somebody else that we should be looking at as well, a name uh, that could fill that playmaking defensive lineman role? Kind of your top uh, guy. For, for me, when it comes to, I mean, if it, if it was my – my top guy, who would I want, you know, out of other ones, would be Danny Shelton, but that obviously is not going to happen, I don't believe. But I, I, when it comes, for me, Eric Armstead, he may not be the safest pick at 29, but give him some development. And, and I know we just had the conversation, do we trust the staff to do some development? Um, but I really feel like he could be that elite blue chipper. Um, if you wanted maybe someone a little safer at 29, but who's still a really good playmaker, Jordan Phillips, um, in my opinion, maybe could be that guy. Um, I really do like Jordan Phillips. Um, he's, he, he played nose tackle in Oklahoma. I mean, he's fast, violent. Um, he, a lot of people said maybe Don Terry Poe-esque. He's not in that realm, but at 29 with this draft class, Jordan Phillips would you know, he'd be a really good nose tackle who could really beef up that middle. He could also offer pass rushing, pass rush ability. So, so I mean, I, I mean, when it comes down, like I said, you know, Eric Armstead would be maybe the less safe pick, but he probably has the, he probably has honestly the highest ceiling out of all of the defensive line within this draft. Uh, Isn't that the kind of guy right. we were talking about earlier? Then the kind of guy that 
maybe they should pick because they have bodies. So if, if yeah. he really does have the high ceiling, that's who I would go with. Yeah, no, and I agree, and I mean, and that's why that's why when I when I've been looking at my when I've been doing my drafts and stuff like that, I always look to see if Eric Armstead is available because he would be the guy, honestly, that I would take. Um, obviously, I'm not trying to not doing comparison. I don't like I don't I mean I'm not very good at player comparison, but I mean I well, I think that you could maybe with an Eric Armstead at his ceiling, you might be able to get 80 percent of JJ Watt. And no comparison to players. JJ no, Watt's a freak animal, but you know, 80% of JJ Watt is still a pretty good football player. The the comparison that you see most often for him at the ceiling is is Clyde Campbell, who again, it kind of is that is that kind of that five tech. You're kind of your ideal five tech guy. Because I mean, I mean, ideally JJ Watt is everybody's ideal guy, but from a from kind of that that fit yeah. perspective, Clyde Campbell from Arizona. That kind of fit would be fantastic. Yeah, I agree. Right. I think I think that Kali Campbell one is probably really spot on too. Uh, Grant, when you look at this draft, anybody, let's say, excluding a guy who's going to be a top twenty pick, so anybody who's who's potentially going, you know, below twenty. Of course, we have no idea because that's the NFL draft. Anything can happen. But when you look at excluding kind of those top twenty guys, who is like your biggest draft crush in this year's draft? Nelson Aguilar, I don't even have to think about that one. He's a wide receiver <laughs> at USC. Um, I watch him, and I see Reggie Wayne and uh, and maybe some Antonio Brown. Um, the kid, I think that kid is the most underrated player maybe of the entire draft class. Um, he, I don't know, he can, he can return punts. He would, for the Colts, he would be, Obviously, right now, he'd probably be wide receiver four. Maybe Andre Johnson plays next year. Maybe he doesn't. But Nelson Aguilar would be that middle of the field, yards after carry, makes the every catch that you need that Reggie Wayne was and um, for this offense. And, I mean, he, for me, he's, he's honestly one of my most coveted players. I know a lot of people don't want to go wide receiver in the first round, but at some for some random reason, the Colts are just like, well, let's, let's do Nelson Aguilar at 29, or even in the second round, they trade up to grab him, something like that. I would, that'd probably be the best situation I've ever heard of him. But on the, that was my offensive guy. Defensive guy, um, I don't know. It's kind of hard. There's so many good defensive players in the, in the after 20 conversation. Um, trying to really. Uh, it's just kind of hard to tell, really. Um, if you're talking about, I mean, maybe Eric Kendricks, um, because I don't think that he'll be taken before 20. Um, Eric Kendricks fits the need for us, and he can honestly be a stud at the inside linebacker position. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'd, say, I'd say Eric Kendricks for defense and Nelson Aguilar for offense. Really like Eric Kendricks and, and Aguilar as well. Uh, mine is, and he could get picked inside the top 20, but you, you're just never really sure with his position. Uh, Marcus Peters from Washington, the cornerback. I just see him as that, you know, that next, uh, big thing for that press corner spot. Uh, and that's, I mean, with the Colts, that's what you need. And, and you look at that, the, the defensive backs that have come through Indianapolis, and I think they've done a really good job of developing them. And I think that's one thing 
that, that the Colts have done a good job of. Outside of those, you know, they've, they've gotten a lot of those undrafted late-round guys that have ended up kind of bouncing in and out, and they, they haven't done anything. But, but when you look at the guys who have come in, you know, Bonte Davis came in. He's developed really well. I, I mean, I think Indianapolis has been a really good place for him. You look at, you know, Greg Tolder, he's come in, and he hasn't, like, played great, and I, and I know there's kind of varying opinions on him, but he's fit his role well when he's been healthy. Darius Butler, I think, is one that you can look at for a guy like Chuck Pagano and say, hey, this was a big success for you guys. I mean, Darius Butler is a guy who was cut from New England. Uh, he, he went, what, did I, he, I think he went to maybe Carolina for some, for like a brief stint, something like that. I mean, he, he, and then he came to Indianapolis, and he's one of the better slot corners in the league. Uh, filled a really good role. So I think, you know, the Colts, they've got some, some evidence of an ability to develop corners with, with ability. And I think you bring in a guy like Peters who has a lot of athletic talent, um, plays that, that physical press corners spot well. And I, I think the Colts could, could potentially develop him into a, a really good starting cornerback, which would be a fantastic pairing with a guy like David. Um, but that's, that's probably my, my biggest crush uh, is probably Peters. Um, and I don't know if that's going to be something that's going to be available or not, but it could be something that could be, could be fun. All right. Well, that no. Go ahead, Grant. I was going to say I like Peters too. Um, some of that, like I said, you never know what goes on. Like I said earlier, you never know what goes on behind the scenes. But I think that he's his talent is so strong, like so his upside is so through the roof that I think that it, I think that he could be he should be available at 29, and he honestly could be available early second, mid second, just because of that. That, I mean, the story is with Nolan Turn, the teacher of the coach, and got kicked off the team, a lot of, a lot of commitment issues, stuff like that. But I mean, I, and he's his, his talent through the roof. So, uh, well, I mean, yeah, he's he's pretty good, and I, I agree with you there. And he would be a good long term in uh, long term asset for the team as well, because get the four years and the fifth year contract, fifth year option type thing in the first round. So, yeah. So go ahead. Bye. You know another cornerback who had maturity and commitment issues? Vontae Davis. Oh, I thought you were going to say Nick Harbour. That's why his wife stabbed him. <laughs> this is like the second time in the last week that Nick Harper has gotten brought up. I brought up Nick Harper the first time, though. Very nice. Sorry. That's fine. Nick I Harper felt lonely, so... <laughs> All right. Well, Grant, uh, really appreciate you coming on tonight and uh, really looking forward to see where Draft Indy goes and, and how far you guys can bring it. Uh, you guys have already put out a lot of really, really, like I said, really fun, entertaining stuff. Um, and, it, and like I said, it's not necessarily your traditional draft stuff, but it's very Indianapolis-oriented. Um, it's, it's just it's, it's lighthearted, but it's also really, uh, really, I think, analytical um, and very accurate content as well. So if you haven't checked it out yet, draftindy.com. And uh, we'll look forward to, to seeing where you guys go, Grant. Hey, thanks, you guys, for having us. And don't forget to follow uh, Draft Indy on Twitter. It's just at Draft Indy. Um, you can follow me at Grant Sinning. Um, and I'm sure Kyle tweeted out the thing enough where you can follow me if you like. But, yeah, we're looking forward to putting out some good stuff and hope we continue to have them build a strong base of readers and uh, continue on from there. Thank you, Grant. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, like Grant said, I'm definitely going to be uh, putting out their, their links. Uh, the follow links are in the Colts Authority post. If you haven't seen it yet, Grant, Grant's 
Twitter link is on there, and I'll throw in the, the draft indie one as well. All right, uh, so we're just going to wrap up here then for the evening. Uh, Greg, anything else that you uh, want to talk about in draft before we sign off? No, I'm going to let you sign off. I don't want to go on a 30-minute tangent that has nothing to do with anything. Good show. Good effort. Uh, that's a good point. All right. Good show. Good effort. Uh, we'll be back next Yeah, next week or the week after. We've only got a few weeks here left before the draft, um, but we'll, we'll get in at least one more show before the draft uh, and kind of finalize uh, those draft needs and, and maybe even do some predictions. That's what we'll do. We'll do some predictions next time around. With that said, uh, this is Colts Authority Radio. Really appreciate everybody listening. And uh, look forward to talking again in a few weeks. Greg, appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Grant, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Good night. Goodbye. Bye.